Does Helmet Marco ever shut up? Like... <laughs> Hello, welcome to the Money Lap Podcast. I'm Parker Kligerman, joined as always by Landon Castle. This is our podcast about all things motorsports. As always, check out the Money Lap newsletter at themoneylap.com three times a week. Highlights on Mondays and all the fun, cool stuff on motorsports on Wednesdays and Fridays. It's continuing to grow. Awesome to see people continuing. Just love that. Um, and we'll jump in the PR lap, Landon, where we have made it to... 99 reviews on Apple Podcast. One away oh. from 100. <laughs> who is going to be 100? That Who's is the gonna question. Do it? How, can we, how can we know who the 100th view is? Or review? I don't know. We, we got to figure it out. We gotta, yeah, we'll figure we got to give out. him some credit. <laughs> we definitely will. A couple great comments. Private Dash said, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but this whole thing, but TML occupies uninhabited territory in motorsports podcasting. The Money Lap treads in truly unique territory. Parker, 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 stop. What? Breaking news. Breaking news right here on the Money Lap podcast. I'm getting word that producer Josh has just refreshed and we have hit 100 reviews live on the air. (laughs) Even though we're tape delaying, even though this is recording. (laughs) We did it! Oh no! I have Finally. to do a cameo now. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Oh god! The no. reality sets in quicker than I thought. <laughs> that did happen. Uh, well, you know what? This is a really gratifying moment because we've been on this quest. We're at Parker's like over. they love me. They really love me. It's validate. It's social validation. Thank you. It's like dopamine receptors are going all over the place from the oh uh, from the social media acceptance. It's amazing. Thank you so much, everyone. Appreciate that. That's great. Yeah. Uh, well, we're at 100. So we'll just read a couple we had written down here. Uh, Bikes Brewer said, an awesome new racing pod. Just discovered this new racing pod. The info and the host perspectives makes it worth the listen. As a fan of the Xfinity Series, it's been nice to have a space to hear more breakdowns and insights of the Xfinity Series races. Nice. Uh, and then Carl Davis Warren Great perspective on racing. I didn't have room on my weekly schedule for another podcast, but after hearing how Parker and Landon view the racing world, I had to make room. Great stuff. Love that. Thank you very much. Um, Spotify world. Great reviews. Yeah, these are nice. Uh, Westford Jr., our buddy there who's been looking for us to sponsor him, said he destroyed his right front shock last weekend. Disaster. Sorry. Oh, no. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, Money Lab <laughs> needs to get back into the sponsorship game. We do. We just need, you know, an income product. Yeah, that, that did really <laughs> a I, business. That was that was fun and rewarding <laughs> when we did that yeah. and um, sponsored the the I, what was it the Fast Time Award the Money Lap Award. Oh uh, yeah, with the At kids Woodleaf. racing go karts. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, we kids can do love that it again. Very cool. We'll do we'll do more stuff. <clears throat> we just need like a business. Um, YouTube Cole J commented, "You all are really funny, and I've loved watching you all on track. Glad I stumbled on this. Thanks, y'all. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm not good at saying y'all. The one like that, that the one that matters the most to me though is from Private Dash, where he was just talking about how the the how we're in unique territory." Mm-hmm. Um, instead of just simply being a reaction show to latest topics, how we raise critical questions of the industry, um, thorough and thought-provoking discussions. I love that. That's a great compliment because that is literally 
how 90% of our phone calls are, Parker, where we just talk <laughs> about racing. And we, we challenge each other's thoughts about what do you believe? What, is, what, are, you know, what do you believe about racing right now, whether it's NASCAR, F1, whatever? Yeah. We, we like to challenge each other. So um, we enjoy taking that to this show. And it, to me, it feels fulfilling that um, there are listeners out there that get that. So we do have some thought-provoking um, topics today. I think one yeah. of them you might have seen in the title if Josh ended up making it the title. <laughs> that we'll get, will certainly we gotta, get some people going. We do. We have a packed show, and we got a ton of stuff. And we also, we're just going to tease it right now. We're going to have a guest uh, this week for the first time ever. Not maybe on this episode, but we'll have a separate, separate episode from this. Uh, a big guest. This is a big deal. Um, I don't want to give it all away, but just know I, I can't think of a racing podcast in the American that's had this person on uh so i think we might be the first which would be really cool and they're a very important figure in the motorsports world right now so looking forward to that i did race indy this past weekend um finished seventh had probably some of my greatest driving of my whole year uh the last 15 laps went from outside i think i passed 22 cars to get to p7 was locked in focused and just strung together laps and you know this landon like when you're nailing it lap after lap i had sheldon who was hounding me the whole time as we passed cars and you just never make a mistake and you just hit it perfectly lap after lap every braking zone you're using that extra inch into turn seven putting my right sides basically in the grass in the braking zone because i could find a little more grip and just felt so locked in and you know you get done with i i almost i got done with the race and i was like like i crossed the line and i was like whoa what just happened? <laughs> I blacked what, out. Um, the, so the, that, that was a cool. You comeback. and I haven't really talked much. We haven't really talked much since the race, um, and and usually we have some kind of debrief, even if it's over text message. But I texted you right after the race, and you texted me, and you just said, uh, "Thanks, I'm spent." So, <laughs> yes. and Indy is always notorious for being hot. Um, add yep. in Indy Road Course uh, and the long green flag runs. What was your physical and mental condition after the race yeah well you also did practice and qualifying that morning and it was rain and then drying and we qualified on wet tires in the dry which was you know just mentally taxing and just a lot going on and then it was you know then it's almost humid because the 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 you know the rain is being burnt off for a while and then you know definitely we had the race start then we have the rain happen so then we're once again on a wet track and then it dries out and it's super humid and it goes late in the nighttime but it was still very hot um and so my whoop said i basically burned six thousand calories on saturday um adding Ooh. some appearances obviously and everything i thankfully the night before had a 93 percent recovery slept like a log um and that was really helpful but yeah it was a mentally taxing and physically taxing day for sure and and you know it, Without where we are uh, in the playoffs, we gained one point on the playoff bubble after all that. So it is a point, though, considering that you know we were probably we were easily a top five car on pace. We had the fourth fastest lap of the race. Uh, we had a couple fastest laps, uh, which was cool, and you know we consistently had the pace to be up there. Uh, just a flat, t- a freak incident with the flat tire and the valve stem getting knocked off from a lug nut. Um, you know, put us way behind. We had to come back from that. So a great recovery by everyone, the race team, big machine racing. And, you know, it's been cool. 
I, I'm just I'm not gonna like number dump here, but I do like stats. And I kind of said to my team, I was like, hey, I think we're kind of on a roll. Well, in the last four races, we have a six and a half, uh, six six point five average finish. We have a ten point one average finish the last nine, which includes a thirty fourth place at New Hampshire when we wrecked. And we've actually passed Sammy Smith, who won at Phoenix earlier this year, in points. And we have the eighth best average finish in the season at the moment. So we've kind of started to put things really together in the last 10 weeks, uh, which is pretty cool. Just need those points. It's always nice. We need some stage points this weekend. Yeah. Stage points has been our, our Achilles heel. But we've helped uh, pick crews with that. And, yeah, we'll see. So... Probably um, it was I, a lot. I think if I remember right, um, Watkins Glen is a race where you will probably have to choose which stage you want points in versus finish. Well, it's green is flag that... now. It's green flag. Oh, that's through. right. It's not Shoot. cautions. What am I thinking? Yeah, yeah we it's... don't have cautions in stages. Like I even pay attention. Yep. Jeez. <clears throat> well. <laughs> <laughs> well, even still, though, even still, there's still going to be some. I guess it depends on where the cautions yep. fall, but um, it's probably a one-stop race on fuel if you had to. So I don't know. I think you'll probably do it in it's two. Not a lot. You know, most likely, I'm guessing. No qualifying will yeah. be important. Uh, you know, just and if we really just have the same speed, you know, if we have that top qualifying the top ten, you'll get plenty of stage points. And then, you know, if we can yep. bring the same speed in the races and we can execute, we could be in the top five and, and fighting for the win at the end. And I think that's sort of what we've looked at every week, and it's kind of what we've done. So we just haven't put it all together, but we've had the speed to do that. So one thing I, I did say there is I obviously got a great night's sleep. Uh, it was an incredibly long day, but I started it off, Landon, I think with the best way possible for a day like that, and that was with Four Sigmatic Think Coffee, which obviously got my brain going in the morning to go out there and tackle a 6,000-calorie day at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I think it made me smarter in the race car, which is why I was able to lock in those last 15 laps and drive <laughs> outside the top 28 into the top 10 and to finish 7th. Um, and you might be wondering, how does it do that? Well, it's coffee that's infused with functional mushrooms that work to wake up your mind, right? They say many people feel the effects in as little as 7 days. Uh, I felt it quicker. But if you want to try, think coffee. Four Sigmatic Think Coffee. Um, they go to their site, foursigmatic.com. That's F-O-U-R and then Sigmatic, S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C.com uh, <laughs> to try their Think Starter Pack, which is 40% off. And you use Money Lap and you get another 15% off, which is 55% off. So that's the coffee I used to tackle that day. Powered me all the way through. Uh, and I still love it. So if you want to try it, go check it out. Support this podcast. Perfect. Love it. <laughs> I need Thanks some right me. now, actually. Yeah, you could use – you need to pump up. You're welcome. Let's jump into the motorsports world uh, as a whole, and we start with some worldly news, or at least rumor. Um, we don't have to go too deep into this, but I thought it was a fun one. Potentially, it's being reported that motorsports is being evaluated to be a part of the Olympics for 2028 in Los Angeles. What would that even look like is the question. <laughs> I, <laughs> I have no idea. I, I, yeah. I guess I'm just picturing it being some reiteration of the uh, race of champions that they used to do in was it in Paris or? Well, they still kind of um, yeah that ROC deal in stadiums. Yeah, like 
what really is motorsport in the Olympics? Like, in is that an F1 top signal? <laughs> <laughs> like, it could be. The I, Olympics I is have... like, wait, Formula <laughs> One got popular. We need to, maybe we need to put motorsports uh, in the Olympics. Is that a motorsports top signal? <laughs> um, I don't know. Is pickleball an Olympic sport yet? Mm. I feel like there's some Olympic sports that have been added recently that were like, uh, well, golf. Golf was added. Yep. Um, Sail, I don't know. It, what is motor well, sports always been in? Olympics look like? What would, I think okay, it's gotta, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. You it's got to be electric. It's got to be you, electric. Oh, it'd have to be electric. Yeah. Why yeah. wouldn't it be electric? No, it's got to definitely wouldn't electric, be. I, that's why I was thinking, yeah. like, cars in a stadium, race of champions. Like, it's got to be electric cars in a stadium somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be interesting and probably, I don't know. I don't know. Probably wouldn't do the motorsports world a whole lot of justice, but to to have a presence <laughs> at the Olympics would be pretty cool. I mean, who would who would be your American driver drivers? Ooh, let's say Kyle the Larson. let's say the Americans get to present two drivers. Yep, Kyle Larson, first and foremost. So Larson, um, who else is out there? What we need from another discipline? Um, I mean, how would you not go with Logan Sargent? Yeah, I guess he's in Formula One. That makes Formula sense. One driver. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking I mean, of an American him, in IndyCar. Alex Rossi. I'm trying to think of like the that's, top. Who, that's what I was thinking. Who I was the thinking top, maybe Rossi. Who, well, who's uh, is up there? Top right? American Indy driver. Who's a top American? Oh, Indy Colton Herta. Driver I'm sorry. What am I even saying? Oh yeah, Colton Herta. Colton Herta. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, now it's pretty competitive. <laughs> How do you not have Logan Sargent and Colton Herta? That's too... I mean, um, Kyle Larson, well, obviously... Like, if it's just two... I Kyle think Larson, that I'm Kyle more Bush, interested in, the, in motor... It, I'm more interested in motorsports being at the Olympics to see who each country chooses than I am... <laughs> what the actual motorsport is that's being on display. I want to see the representation. We'll find out. Pretty cool. I don't know. Yeah. Would be cool. Let's talk current motorsports, uh, that actually exist. That was that NASCAR, as I mentioned earlier, was at Indianapolis motor speedway, uh, on the road course. And one of the big topics was the restart zone being moved from the front stretch to the corner before turn 14, which was a plus in terms of spreading the field out. But this race essentially went green Mm -hmm. from a a caution early on to the end. A 117-minute green flag run to finish the race. Michael McDowell comes out on top in a heroic drive and just a continuation of an unbelievable season that he and Front Row Motorsports are putting together on the heels of being re-signed by them this past week and the earliest driver announcement Front Row Motorsports has made in its entire history. Um, pretty big deal. So I thought, you know, a lot of people like, or I think the race was only two hours and nine minutes or something. And, you know, there was a lot of people who look at the past races there and all the wrecks and everything and think of NASCAR's, you know, is not this traditional green flag affair. I thought it was quite refreshing and cool 
to see a race play out like this. And I'm not, I know we're more purists. And so they'll say like, this has to happen very few and far between, but it was interesting. And it wasn't like he drove away. Chase Elliott and Daniel Suarez kept him on the entire race. race. Yeah. And even towards the end, Chase Elliott was making a little bit of time on him. So it was a compelling race from start to finish uh, with multiple strategies and a really cool winner. So I, I had no problem. I thought it was a great, a great show. Um, what did I text you at 2.46 p.m. on Sunday? Mm, I don't know. <laughs> I think McDowell is going to win this race. Oh, I yeah. think that was still in stage one. <laughs> um, he, just, he just looked better. But, I mean, that was, a, that was a good race. And I'm, like, and that's what's incredible about, you know, this long green flag run. And last year we had all this chaos and the restart, you know, they moved the restart zone and it seemed like it helped out the chaos, which I think that was good. That was a, um, that was a good idea. And it even kind of challenged me to think, dang, why don't, we should be allowed to change lanes when we go through the restart zone everywhere else. Let's do that. <laughs> like, why do we got to wait till the start finish line? <laughs> Um, and, great and, question. I, and that's only a small component to the whole rule change. And there's a reason the restart zone got moved to where it is. I, NASCAR did a wonderful job. Um, I like that they moved the restart zone. Um, I like that the restarts were less chaotic, you know, last year's race, like just compare, um, the previous races to this race, both races being quote unquote thrilling and exciting, but one of them is like a good pure race the other one was divides the 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 um viewers in terms of being a clown show versus what is a good race you know um and i think the the race this weekend just proved that you don't have to have a clown show of people wrecking each other and late restarts and just a bunch of chaos um, to constitute a compelling finish. I mean, this was a compelling finish because you had an underdog victory. Um, you know, not it wasn't a door-to-door fight for the win, but, I mean, Chase was, was tracking him down, and, um, you know, the broadcast did a good job of conveying the story of what this was really worth to that team. And I don't know. that To me, that makes up for not having – door-to-door action you don't have to have door-to-door action for the win in every single finish to have a good race agreed um and to me this was a stark example uh, and i think i tweeted this of welcome to the new nascar which is the idea that a team like front row motorsports on the budget they're on which is a you know, one third most likely of some of the biggest teams in the sport. A driver like Mike McDowell, who has been a bit of a journeyman, has has jumped around and had to bring up small teams and go through very tough and lean times. But the idea of new NASCAR in the next gen era <clears throat> is that almost everyone has maybe this shot that every hundred races you could be the dominant car. I think that's kind of where this is going, right? Where this mm-hmm. is this idea of maybe it's you know, and a hundred is sort of an arbitrary number that i just said but basically every two seasons or so if you're in the series and you're at the that level of car and as long as there's no other you know crazy other issues uh you could have a chance to have a dominant day 
because that's where this has gone. This is how tight it is. This is how close the equipment is. And this is a new NASCAR. This did not exist five years ago. It did not happen. It just didn't. I'm sorry. It would never have happened. It could not happen. And now we are entering a phase in which you just don't know who is going to be that driver and team that show up on a Sunday or even a Saturday and a Sunday like McDowell did this weekend was really fast to both, but shows up and is just the car to beat for one in every hundred races, which I think is a really, really interesting mm-hmm. thing to, to experience for the sport. Yeah. Welcome to the new NASCAR that, um, if we could have that 15 to 17 different winners every single year, um, then I think that that we're doing a good job. Um, mm-hmm. I think that that, that, uh, uh that this next gen is doing its job in terms of parity and uh, competitiveness and, you know, the field being deep, kind of like we talked last week where people can go on runs, three or four or five week runs, and you're seeing guys like Michael McDowell snagging a win every other season or once a year. Yep. Pretty cool. Let's talk um, the Oval. At Indianapolis Motor Speedway has been a topic throughout the weekend. It's been wide, you know, widely rumored even from beginning of this year, to be honest, uh, that you know they were looking to bring the Cup Series back to the oval from the road course, since the next gen car has been able to put on way better uh, races on ovals, um, and even better races than it usually puts on road courses. Although this one was a compelling race, so they've had a test uh, start on Monday, but they only got a couple laps, and then here. Tuesday as we record this they were there today testing so I'm going to ask you first before I give my points what's your opinion go to the oval stay on the road course what's your <laughs> thoughts uh it's a tough one because I just you know played up the road course and how much of a great finish this was but I think we need to be on the oval um I love the oval it's an amazing racetrack I think it it brings a prestige back to you know this event it is still a prestigious event though i do feel like it's nascar and and you know ims have done a good job of maintaining the prestige of this event it's a really important one to win but ultimately i think that the brickyard 400 is one of the majors um always was and it needs to continue as one of the majors i feel like if we really want to be on the the indie road course that bad um, then we should find a way to also run the Indy road course. But I do think that if we only get one stop at Indy per year, then it should be on the oval. Um, we've got plenty of road courses on the schedule, or we, there's plenty more options for really good road course racing in the Cup Series, and I think that road course racing is earning its right in the Cup Series to you know be a major part of our schedule, a third of our schedule if, if necessary maybe. So I, I, you know, I think there's other just I think there's other options out there to do more road racing or more street racing or something. Uh, but as far as Indy's concerned, for me, we need to be on the oval. I wanted to disagree because I wanted to create a really great discussion point here, but I can't because he just it, I feel exactly the same way. Although I believe personally mm-hmm. that uh, winning a foot race at Indianapolis Motor Speedway would be um, <laughs> a very important moment in my life <laughs> or be very prestigious. 
it's not the same being on the road course as you know the brickyard what it was built yep. on and being on the same track as the indy 500 that was the point of taking stock cars and putting them on the track the indy 500 is raced on so i enjoy Here, this a, weekend uh, well hold on real quick i enjoy this weekend and yeah. when we did this i believe back in 2020 <clears throat> was the first year that they did this combo weekend or 2021 and it was so cool. The mm -hmm. atmosphere was electrifying between IndyCar and NASCAR coming together, the two biggest motorsports. I just think after a couple years of doing that, it obviously has lost a little bit of its flair. Maybe that template, this idea of combining the biggest motorsports in America together on one singular weekend should move around. It shouldn't just be at Indy. Maybe we can do it somewhere else. Maybe we, you know, that allows NASCAR to continue to have its Brickyard 400. But for the IndyCar series, you know, I felt like this was a really cool event that just maybe it played out. We got to do it somewhere else, right? But I don't want to lose that. I don't want to lose yeah. these two series working together. So that's the only reason the road course to me has been something that offered a difference, that offered um, a way to do something the Oval didn't. And that's why I feel like it's a shame if we lose that. So maybe there's another street course or road course we could combo with that with IndyCar and NASCAR and keep that going and it moves around. But the oval, by yeah. and large, is, is the more prestigious race, the more prestigious thing to win. I mean, we should be on the oval. The Xfinity Series, though, I'll say yeah. this. I don't think the Xfinity Series. I, the Xfinity Series, I, though I raced in it in 2013 and thought it was really cool. Um, man, that's a weird one for me. Like the, you know, like the lower series being on there. I, I don't would know. agree with that. Yeah. I would agree with that. I would agree that the Xfinity series could either, you know, be somewhere else that weekend, take the weekend off or go over and, you know, be at IRP with the trucks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I could agree with that. I don't feel like the, in, in, the Xfinity series needs to be on the big track, but um, yeah, I mean, kind of to go back to the point I made, it's just like, I, I think if you only have so many options, for racetracks, um, you know, first, first off for this, for this thought experiment, what is a road course that you just absolutely wish that we raced on? Laguna Seca. That do you want the cup series to go to? Okay. Laguna Seca, Indy road course, Indy oval. You can only have two. What are you picking? Oh, Indy oval and Laguna Seca. <laughs> there you go. Like what, you know, what, what, how many different road courses do you have to, you know, I, like, I, I think my point was that I was trying to make is just like, there's so many great road course venues for us to have on the cup series schedule that I don't think, you know, when you have Indy oval sitting right there, the most historic racetrack on the planet, like, let's use it. Let's use the oval. Let's maximize yep the prestige of that event on the oval. And if we need another road course on the schedule to make up for, well, I mean, that was a good race on the road course. And we love the road course. Great. Let's go to Laguna Seca. Let's go to, you know, I don't know. Let's go to another road course in the U S that is an amazing road course. Let's go to Montreal. Yep. Definitely right? go to Montreal. Definitely go to Montreal. Let's definitely <laughs> go to Montreal, you know? And I think that if you could, if you put not Montreal on the schedule and put Indy oval back on the schedule, I, I guess you got to lose Somebody's got to lose a race in that scenario, but but you you gain, I think it's a net gain, um, and yep. you didn't lose anything by losing Indy Road Course. I agree. I'm with you on that. I think uh, Josh, our producer, wants us to be noted that if we lost Indy Road Course, do we lose the international flair that we had this past weekend with Kamui Kobayashi, Shane Van Gisbergen, Brody Kostecki, 
Jensen Button, uh, Mike Rockenfeller. No, you won't lose that because this floodgate is already opened and they will just migrate those same drivers and teams that were putting that all together to doing it in another race. So I don't see that going away. Yeah. Um, speaking yeah, of the international I mean, if you go guys. go to Montreal, those drivers will go to Montreal. Exactly. 100%. And you'll, you know, you, you'll probably even have more. Maybe James Hinchcliffe will, get in, will join us that weekend. Um, so, mm-hmm. so quote, uh, speaking of the international drivers, we had Shane Van Gisbergen who came back for uh, his second mm-hmm. Cup Series race. It's his big win at Chicago. He finished 10th. Really strong run once again. Uh, guy showing that he's got the skills. Obviously a little bit more of a traditional NASCAR event, so it wasn't lights out as fast as he was in Chicago. Um, but Jay, uh, Justin Marks, the team owner at Trackhouse, had a really interesting interview uh, for supercars.com. And one of the quotes in that that I thought we could discuss was, he said, the charter thing is a funny business right now. Look, I'm running a racing business here. I don't have a billion-dollar company that I can lean on, which I assume he meaning, you know, sort of fill the gap. They have to be economically viable as a race team. The barrier of entry is high financially right now, and I'm not convinced you have to have one to go race, meaning have a charter. So there's a bit of a thought process, and I know Denny Hamlin recently said it on his podcast this week, about how racing without a charter is just not economically viable. You can't do it. Justin Marks refuting that a little bit when asked about you know what the plans are for Shane in saying that, yeah, they want to get him over here. They want to explore that. They would love to, you know, it sounds like most likely he ends up doing some sort of truck Xfinity Cup Series schedule next year. But it's interesting to hear Justin say, you know, put all that aside. He's not convinced you have to have a charter to go race. How do you make that work financially? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe it's because of the third car, which we know is is a more uh, well, you know the, hang the on kinds a of scale Did, are better. I don't know. Well, you you kind of I, you actually broke up on my end a little bit. The quote is the barrier of entry is so high financially. Right, I'm sorry, I'm, I dramatized a little bit. The barrier of entry is so high financially right now that he's not convinced that you have to have a charter to go race. That's what he's saying. Good point. Yep. So, and I, he's absolutely right. And look, look at the look at the economics here. The prize money and charter money for a charter team that finishes twentieth in points is going to all in earn how much in one season? Seven million, six and a half million bucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somewhere or other. The, the prize money of an open car that ran the full season and finished 20th in points, same as this charter car, this imaginary charter car that we're talking about, finished 20th in points, is going to earn half of that? Three and a half million bucks, maybe? Is it even that much? Uh, I think it is. I mean, if you're talking about averaging 20th in points. Um, okay. I mean, I... I think that I don't know. I have to go back and look, but I think it's probably north of three million to to run twenty. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, you're talking about pretty good finishes there. I mean, it's, the price money is decent, even though it is an yep. open car. You're not getting the charter money. Um, you're still going to get around three million bucks. So you're talking mm-hmm. about a four million dollar gap to fill um, by not having a charter. But if you are you still need a 
ten million dollar gap above that, anyways, whether you got a charter or not. Yep. Um, to fund your operation, right? Yep. So, if you're an open team and you're and you're bringing in a new driver like SVG, is it reasonable to say, "Hey, I've got to raise ten million or fourteen million in sponsorship"? Um, to run an open car as opposed to got to spend $20 million to buy a charter. Which that, well, and to 20 would probably be, well, hold on, 20 would be on the low end right now. You know, there's the numbers being thrown around. On the low end right now. Of what, yeah, the numbers being thrown around are north of 30, even I've heard 40. You know, some people believe they're worth 40. Right, so what, if you're going to, why would you spend $40 million? Like, look at it this way, I guess. If, 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 if let's just say it's forty million dollars, yeah. How many years <laughs> do you think you could run? An how open? many years could you run as? An, how many years could you run as an open car on forty million dollars? And you know, and let the market cool off because that is mania. Those are mania numbers, right? Yep. Yep. Um, and let the market cool off and. And it actually makes sense. So I, I think what Justin is saying there is that Charter thing is a funny business right now. He's he's you know he doesn't have a billion dollar company to lean on to go borrow money from or you know guarantee the long term. Like he he's got to make the financials. He's got to make the financials work right now. And what he's saying is he can't go to the bank and borrow forty million bucks just to buy a Charter because everybody says that's what you got to do. And he's not. He's he's saying that the 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 cost of these chargers is so high that he's not convinced you even need one to go race. Let's just if we go get ten million bucks in sponsorship for SVG, let's bring him in and and run him as an open car. That's what so, I'm hearing just from that quote. Yeah. yeah so I, and I want to. I think there's another way to put this in context um, or sort of in more relatable terms. It's kind of like when you're deciding whether to buy a house. Or rent an apartment, right? Because you mm-hmm. could buy a house and now have, you know, take a mortgage and have a mortgage payment. But if that payment, especially with interest rates where they are now and that sort of thing, is so astronomically high, you could say, and you need, you need a large amount of money to put as your, your down payment, right? Which locks up that money mm-hmm. within the, the house. You could also say, wait a second, instead of that amount of money that I'm going to have to put down on this house, and that mortgage payment I have to make every month. If I go rent an apartment and I take that same amount of money and I put it in some investment, and then I have a similar rent payment to the mortgage payment, am I really, you know, am I gaining on it, or am I, or am I breaking even, or even doing better financially, right? So it's, I feel like, mm-hmm. I don't know, it's not a perfect, you know, uh, analogy, but well, even more, it's so, similar. Take that a half a step farther. That's a really good analogy to take it a half a step farther. You could say it's, it's the. Comp- comparing you know or maybe just to make it more polarizing you're comparing buying a house where you're you're having to put a huge chunk of capital in right your down payment and then you're really you're committing via your mortgage you're committing to this obligation to have to pay it right Mm -hmm. because if you don't pay it if you don't pay that mortgage you lose your house right if you don't if you buy a race a, a charter and you don't show up to the racetrack, you lose your charter. 
Yep. Right. So not only are you buying this charter, you're actually committed to coming to the racetrack, right? The opposite. Now you were saying renting a house, but I'm going to go even a step farther. The opposite of that would be, we're going to live out of Airbnbs. We're going to be digital nomads, right? I can rent a week at a time. And Mm -hmm. if I choose to, you know, move back in with my family or somebody else, I can only have to rent for as long as I want on Airbnb and I can hop back out of that and back into another place. Right now it might yep. be a little bit more expensive per night to rent an Airbnb, i.e. less prize money in the, you know, open car system. So you're going to have to come up with that deficit somehow to pay for a race car. Um, but you're not committed to running any more than the races that you want to run. Yeah, I think we've uh, we solved it. So we know what he's saying. But it's interesting. We'll see how it plays out. Let's uh, let's move to IndyCar. Scott Dixon won this past weekend at Indy in a tremendous uh, drive by him. In terms of once again, the guy is just unbelievable at saving fuel and going fast at the same time. He does the unthinkable. He goes further on a, a tank of fuel than anyone thinks is imaginable, and he does it faster than anyone thinks is possible. The guy is unbelievable uh, as a race car driver, and he ends up beating Graham Rahal, who got his first pole position in six years, I believe, and was in position to win and had the faster car by every available metric but just still could not get by uh, Scott Dixon for the win. But a very cool uh, event, and I thought it was kind of a cool thing to see Graham Rahal and Rahal Letterman Lanigan win that poll when you think just a couple months earlier in May, possibly the lowest moment of their whole ten, you know, their time as he missed the Indy 500 as they battled their own teammate and Jack Harvey to make the race in bump day qualifying, uh, which was just a very embarrassing moment and was the only car knocked out. Um, and then to come back to that same track a couple months later, on the road course at least, and win a pole, I think that had to be a pretty gratifying moment. Definitely. Yeah. A little IndyCar drama uh, this weekend, too. <laughs> yes, a little drama. So, well, we've got sort of, first and foremost, this week uh, it was announced that Connor Daly will now uh, replace Jack Harvey for this upcoming race um, at, was it Gateway? I think it's Gateway. Um, he'll replace Jack Harvey in that number 30 Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan car. Uh, Jack has struggled since his time at RLL. He, unfortunately, has just not had the performance. Um, Jack's a good friend of mine, and I hate to see him going through this, but it's just not worked out. He did put out a statement saying he's not done. He looks forward to having the next opportunity to go show his skills. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. So we'll see where where Jack goes next. But Connor Daly is now filled in for Meyer Shank in that 60 car for Simon Pagino is now filling in or replacing Jack Harvey. The team only announced for this single race. So we'll see what happens uh, over these last couple races, but a good opportunity for Connor uh, who was on the sidelines. And then this past weekend, once again, uh, (laughs) Alex Pillow was in the headlines like he was a year prior between in a contract dispute once again between Ganassi and McLaren in the ongoing saga of who does Alex Pillow actually belong to. And now last year was he wanted to go to McLaren and it was Ganassi with a bad one to hold him back. 
He now wants to stay in Ganassi, and McLaren feels slighted and that he's not living up to his obligations. And from what I've learned, Alex Plow has also fired his management group, which I think he should have done about 12 months prior. Um, and <laughs> essentially, it sounds like or he's vice versa. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything different. This is just the wildest thing. I've never seen so many contract disputes. Uh, especially centered around one driver and still at the same team and dominating this year and most likely going to win the IndyCar championship while this is all going on. Unbelievable uh, turn of events. I don't know a lot of the inside of this. I've heard different things here and there, but it, I, I think everyone this past weekend in the race world had the same question, which is who is making these decisions and can they please be removed from the situation? Because whoever they are does not know what they're doing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, I, the thing that was the most interesting to me through this was when Alex Pelot's representation basically put out the statement saying that they did not really understand what Alex was doing, um, and didn't support it essentially and wished him good luck. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> There's these allegations, basically, that he's flip-flop. He's got contract. There's these – both McLaren and Ganassi claim that they have a contract with Alex Pillow. The hell of a time, man. What is – You know, what is some going of us just on? looking for one. <laughs> well, some of us just looking for one contract. This guy's got two. <laughs> like, so they both think that they have him under contract, and and then he has, in the publics, I guess – played both sides at time last year this time he was saying that he wanted to go to mclaren and now he's saying that he's not it's i don't know it's one of the wilder things from what i can understand possibly the is it a little bit of the rumor mill on this is that you know the mclaren thing was was predicated around going to formula one uh but with oscar piastri's performance and obviously, Lando Norris, I believe, re-signing, um, or at least his performance, you know, it does not look like there's an opening there. So that could be some of the consternation of of committing to this McLaren deal when their IndyCar team is not as good as Ganassi's, and you know there isn't a path to Formula One. So I believe that was the the intention, the reasoning behind this whole deal, and why how it started in the first place. And mm-hmm. I think. You know, if there's any reason to re to renege on this deal, with McLaren, it's that you believe there is no path to Formula One, and maybe they've either said something that was not true, or that door closed, and so you feel like there's a way out. I don't know, um, but it's a, it's a really interesting time. It sounds though Ganassi put out a, a heck of a statement, basically saying he did not appreciate this situation whatsoever from McLaren's side, um, and. I, I, I just I sat there in disbelief this weekend trying to understand it and I just I couldn't. I'm like this is just this is unprecedented in this sport. We don't really have these sorts of moments. You know, they, there's too many sponsors involved and third parties and that sort of thing that for stuff like this to play out in the public sphere. So for this to happen the way it has has been uh quite the show. I don't know. And I think drivers are in demand. I think that's what's. <laughs> I think that's what uh, is telling we've me. We've got IndyCar the power. Is that drivers are in? I think drivers are in demand. Can you hear me? 
Yeah, no, I said we have the power. Oh, you said we have the power. I thought you said we cut the power. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. I think I think drivers are in demand, at least in IndyCar, and we've talked about NASCAR heading that direction because of the next gen. Um, you know, let me remind you that it was just a few years ago that IndyCar went to this sort of spec car. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. So, um, you know, the playing field has been leveled over there. And speaking of in demand, Kenny Schrader, <laughs> the NASCAR veteran, doesn't stop, man, this guy. He won the NASCAR Pinty Series up in Canada uh, race on dirt. And I believe he uh, is the oldest winner possibly in the NASCAR Touring Series at like 68-some-odd years old. Uh, <laughs> so congrats to Kenny, man. That guy, what a racer. Never, he'll never stop. He'll, you know, he'll be what racing ra- to I the mean, day that he is literally can't. As, as pure of a real racer as they come, um, <laughs> guys racing his modifieds, he's got SRX, he's got obviously NASCAR Pinty Series on the dirt. Um, he's as pure as they get. It's pretty it awesome. It wasn't that too, it really wasn't too long ago he was racing in the Cup Series. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I raced against him in the Cup Series. I raced against him on short tracks. I, I've, I've spent a lot of my career around Ken Schrader. Um, I mean, I absolutely I race... adore the guy. Yeah. I raced against him in, That's uh, pretty cool. in ARCA, too. So... Uh, and the dirt, I actually, I've told that story. I think I told that story on this podcast, the funny story of my first ever dirt race in Arca. And he, I go up to him, ask him advice. Hey man, I've never done this, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, you know, gives me a little bit of advice here and there. And so after the race I won and I think he finished fourth or something. I went up to him and I said, Hey man, not bad for my first time on dirt. And you know, it's a flat track and it gets rubbered up and it totally becomes almost like an asphalt slick track. And he turned to me and he goes, Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that ain't real dirt. It walks off. <laughs> so <he's... laughs> he probably didn't he run wasn't well. as impressed. Yeah, he didn't run well. So, <laughs> uh, speaking of dirt, dirt That's is for funny. farming is on our discussion topics. I have no idea what this means. You please explain yourself. What is going on? Here? <laughs> um, is dirt for farming might be a better a uh, better way to propose this. Other than I am probably in trouble with the dirt crowd, um, but. Yeah, uh, my discussion topic was dirt is for farming, but really, I love dirt racing. We love dirt racing. Um, what, I mean, dirt racers in, especially, you know, sprint car drivers, uh, non-wing sprint car, USAC midget drivers, they are among the most talented, courageous race car drivers in the country right now dirt racing is among the most entertaining form of pure motorsport there is because dirt tracks are so dynamic the cars are so powerful it is so much fun to watch but it is it is not scalable and and maybe it doesn't need to be scalable maybe it doesn't need to reach a big audience maybe it will continue to be a niche form of motorsport but the Knoxville Nationals, the largest dirt sprint car championship race in the country for winged, you know, winged outlaw sprint cars um, in my home state of Iowa, 
was this weekend, and the they the the green flag was at eleven eleven thirty p.m. Eastern time. The race ended after. Hmm. <laughs> like, what is going on in dirt race? And we we have this problem. And again, I'm looking at it from a very um, from a non dirt. Like, I mean, I've grown up around dirt racing, so, um, but I'm not a dirt racing guy, right? I'm a NASCAR guy. I'm a pavement guy, um, but I'm but I'm familiar with all mo- all motorsports, um, and I love them all. But we, you know, so I'm 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 attacking this from the perspective of, you know, just someone that is curious about what's 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 holding dirt racing back from being hugely popular, or maybe dirt racing doesn't want to be hugely popular. But we deal with this every year with the Chili Bowl, Parker. Mm-hmm. Like you and I talk about it every year. Like I, I follow the Chili Bowl all week long, and then I can't even stay up for the main event because they don't throw the green till midnight. <laughs> like they can't, <laughs> they cannot get the show going. And you know, it, it, in dirt racing, the track prep is so important, and it's so impossible to really know what's going on at the racetrack. And even the even the track workers that have been prepping these tracks for decades, um, you know, they have to make in in the moment decisions on what to do with these tracks and the track prep time is is maybe inconsistent or or not. Or I, I don't know which part of the tail is really wagging the dog or what it is, but like how 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 do you grow dirt racing to be what it truly should and could be capable of being in terms of American motorsport and the popular that it could be when you don't even air your championship race until midnight. <laughs> and that's why the title is Dirt is for Farming. <laughs> I love dirt nice. racing, but... Well said. <laughs> well, so... You don't have anything else for that or... Racing that I've learned um, a couple times, and that is, or I've, I guess I've been discussed a couple times, I haven't learned a couple times, it's been discussed to me a couple times, and that is that dirt racing possibly is the largest spectator sport in America. If you think about it, I believe there's like 700 active dirt tracks in America, and on any given summer, weekend, mm-hmm. or evening, you know, say they have 1,000 people there, let's, you know, at each, you know average 1,000 people at each one across the nation, it's all 700, that's 700,000 people <laughs> attending dirt races, mm-hmm. you know, between competitors and the fans, that sort of stuff. So there's, there is some stats of it being like one of the most, uh, you know, the most attended sports in, in America. Um, but, yeah, they, there is this funny thing in that the culture in that world of starting races super late and, you know, not doing things or promoting them or using the latest technology to make it the most accessible thing possible and to, to grow it's sort of outside of its niche they're very content being you know within their niche um and keeping those events to the size they are maybe and that's you know a, what if maybe it's a maybe feature it's a, not maybe a bug well that's what i was gonna say maybe it's a, what it keeps it the same right it keeps it you know a, a community and that sort of thing and it's it pure. doesn't need to grow any further yeah it keeps it pure so uh i have no problem with that you know i, I actually i've spent not much more time in the dirt racing world than you have, but I I can see that being absolutely a a positive um, for those events to continue forever as they are because they just won't 
they won't grow above them. You know, they won't outdo themselves or, or overextend themselves. It's just this is the way it's been done. This is the way we do it, and this is how big it's going to be. And it's okay, cool, great, happy. You know, keep it going. <laughs> I guess I I agree with that. Um, and you know what? You know what's actually really interesting. What's really interesting is we've been talking so much about identity lately with other racing series um, that it's like dirt racing, I think, is one form of motorsport that has a clear identity that has not lost its identity, right? You look at dirt yeah. sprint cars, midgets, non-wing sprint cars, um, I mean, all the way down to the cars themselves are virtually the same race car that they've been for the last three decades. I mean, they've had, like, some safety upgrades, and there's componentry that's changed, you know. They're they're using a lot more titanium than ever, and some of the body work has kind of changed because they've learned aerodynamic stuff that you can't unlearn. But by and large, those cars are the same. The engines are the same for the most part. Um I mean, yeah. the, the 410 wing sprint car that you're driving today is is pretty similar to the one that was driven 20 years ago. And, mm -hmm. you know, this sport, that you, you could say it has kept its identity. Um, and, uh, you know, my whole criticism that I started out with here of just saying, hey, you know, you, you got you to gotta be able to broadcast a race at 8 p.m. instead of midnight if you want to reach a mass audience um maybe that's just a feature not a bug i mean maybe that's maybe that's my narrow-minded way of looking of like hey you you know if you want 10 million people to watch this instead of 1 million people um you got to make these changes and and i guess it just seems like the dirt racing culture says i don't know we don't maybe we don't need 10 million people because the other thing too you can look at is like um i've never been to the knoxville nationals but i've been to um um uh, to knoxville Actually, I might have been to the Knoxville Nationals back when I was a kid. I've been to Knoxville several times. I've watched even just their <laughs> Friday night shows um, or their weekly shows. I don't know if it's Friday or Saturday nights, but even just their weekly shows um, in Knoxville are a big deal. And the energy and that audience and um, the crowd there and that facility is amazing. So, you know, like you said, it's an incredible spectator sport, um, even with the races being late and inconsistent in terms of timing and things like that um we're just so you know we're so conditioned for this like tv audience and we gotta you know there needs to be 100 million fans um that it is easy to have that perspective that i've had of this you know hey dirt is for farming this just could be a bunch of farmers because you guys won't race before <laughs> 9 p.m um <laughs> but i don't know they well, got a pretty good identity so Adding on, adding on to this, uh, you think about them starting at eleven thirty p.m. or twelve at night, and you're like, man, that makes no sense for me watching at home on my couch. But for all the concessions there, and the energy drinks, and the alcohol, and the burgers they're selling, you know, probably pays <laughs> out pretty well when you have thirty thousand people at that track uh, on that event. So, you know, I'm not, I, I once again, I'm not going to say any of it is by accident. <laughs> these all can be features of Maybe, which it is but designed for and not a bug yeah but i mean if you were truly if 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 the ceo of dirt racing <laughs> had a new mandate to scale that business to 
hundreds of millions of fans, um, you know, that's a heck of a lot more profitable than, you know, staying open for an extra two hours to sell more hot dogs. Um, so I, it well, probably depends on who you're talking to, whether it's the track operator at Knoxville or the, obviously Knoxville puts on their own event, but, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's, Do you think it's they interesting. sell? I know I'll get flamed well, for saying dirt is for farming. Yeah, and hopefully people listen to this <laughs> entire discussion and can see the the willingness to to discuss it. It's just it's an interesting it's just an interesting topic, um, and I think that maybe it is a feature and not a bug to dirt racing. It's why dirt racing will always have a certain charm to it. It's why drivers like Kyle Larson, who you know are the best drivers in the world, ultimately you know the kid's gonna run. He's a NASCAR Cup Series champion. He's going to run the Indy 500 for McLaren. But yet, I think that he would still rather go race full-time um, on dirt than he would any of that other stuff. There's something about it that is just so authentic and so charming um, and so raw and so real. The drivers are courageous. They're talented. The racing is good. I'm not The racing isn't just good. The racing is probably better than almost any other motorsport out there right now. Um, yep. that maybe it just works because they don't change. It's got a romanticism about it, right? Yeah. There's nostalgia. When you, I mean, when you have things that don't change, now you, pro- you truly have nostalgia, right? Yeah. Well, do you think they have Chipotle at the Knoxville Nationals? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Because in this week's edition of F1 have- Top Signals... Uh, we have the CMO of Chipotle, Chris Brandt, giving details about their sponsorship in sports over the last uh, year or so. And one of those main big sponsorships was their partnership with Haas F1 team. And I thought some of these quotes were very interesting. Uh, first and foremost, their sponsorship is less about the American audience, although you know many people see them as an American company. That must be because they're, F1's booming in America. Not quite the case. Although they only have like 30 restaurants internationally, they, they intend to expand. And so this was a way to grow their uh, brand recognition globally, not so much in America. Wait, they um, have how many restaurants internationally? Like only 30. It's not a lot. So they're, you know, <laughs> I think they're what? Upwards of like a thousand. They're up like a thousand restaurants in the U.S. or something crazy. So let me go a little further. Uh, they said one of the things that was a okay, non-negotiable. I, a, I have follow-ups to that, but... <laughs> Okay. One of the things that was a non-negotiable for their sponsorship was having a logo plastered on the car, visibly. They said that had to be a part of it. Well, they met with several teams, but Brandt admitted that the asking price for some of the other teams was too high. Basically saying, if we, we have been, might have been priced out if we wanted to be with Red Bull or somebody else. But he said, and this is the quote that I want to dive into. Because this one to me is just NASCAR... 2005 in a nutshell uh, <laughs> and that is just every, it just basically encompasses everything we've ever seen about racing and when they're most likely at the top he said it's okay to be with a team that isn't contending for the wins you don't need to be a winner in Formula 1 <laughs> just please let us in <laughs> We don't want to miss this wave. <laughs> like, come on. The 
whole thing. It's a competition. You have to win. And what happens to racing series <laughs> as they develop and become mature past that peak point is that they become all about winning. And the t sponsors that want to be seen have to be on the winningest cars. And the winningest cars then go on to dominate. And they become rich and richer because that's how <laughs> things go when you don't have budget caps, that sort of thing. But basically, this is just saying, yeah, I just need to be in the show. And it's like, that's not – I mean, that's a great – statement for f1 but it usually doesn't bode well for the rest uh for this to continue at this current junk you know the current level of enthusiasm because that 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 to me is about as top top signal as it gets uh they also did say they posted a haas f1 car at a chipotle drive-through ahead of the miami grand prix in may and that was chipotle's most liked and engaged instagram post of all time Wow. Yeah. Pretty crazy. I mean, Chipotle definitely – they definitely caught the top, I think, um, which I think is a good thing for them. They caught the top of the uh, F1 craze in the U.S. when they announced their deal. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to find this quote where he says it's not so much about the U.S. because that just seems funny to me that he would say that if they only have 30 locations – um, yeah, so he, it's at the top. He basically <laughs> says, uh, you know, rec he went to the paddock. He saw how cool the sport was becoming, both in America and globally, and he saw how an F1 partnership would open the floodgates to global brand awareness. So it's more of a, a global brand awareness play than a U.S. play. But you Interesting. Get Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't – you know, I think uh, it's – it's yeah, good for them. They got in the garage um, in the F1 paddock, <laughs> I mean. Um, it's okay to be with a team that isn't contending for wins. Hey, you know what? It is okay to sponsor teams that aren't contending to wins. There's a lot of different ways to activate around motorsports partnerships. It's just funny to read that quote in the time and in the context of us always teasing and picking on F1 top signals where people just seemingly are so desperate to capture just a little bit of that attention um, from the F1 mania that it's just like, we, we don't even care who, like, we just needed our sticker to be on a car. <laughs> um, smart. Hey, hey they might and look like geniuses. speaking of, they might, well, they are, but I mean, I think they did. I, I think it had to have some success. I mean, how often can you put an F1 car in the drive through of a restaurant like that? Um, and, and get us to talk about it. So it must've worked. Mm. Um, speaking of more F1, um, teasing, does helmet Marco ever shut up? Like, <laughs> or does he just continuously put out because I, and maybe it's my Twitter algorithm or like, I don't know, but I just, every time I refresh Twitter, I see some new helmet Marco quote, like, <laughs> randomly saying that Max Verstappen could get the pole in a Haas or AlphaTauri car in wet conditions, or um, <laughs> he's got comments on Lando Norris driving for Red Bull, but not Hamilton. Um, he, he's he got, uh, which actually that was interesting because he did make a quote that if you have two stars, um, like, like, in the past Senna and Prost being on the same team that it doesn't go well, that there has to be a clear team order, uh, which you talked about mm. on the pod a couple of weeks ago and convinced and convinced me of the proper structural success of a, of an F1 team. 
and how there has to be a number one and a number two driver for the for the energy of the team to be focused and be pulling in the direction of winning a world championship. So, produ- productive quote from Helmet there. Uh, but then also, you know, he's he's <laughs> just well, he's calling out his rivals. Um, this is just stuff that I see on my timeline, right? Like uh, literally saying Renault, at Renault they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> Vassar continues his love affair with Total Wolf, so there's little <laughs> resonance of Ferrari. Um, like every time I feel like I refresh my Twitter timeline, this guy won't stop talking <laughs> or like, does somebody just follow him around and quote him all day long? Is he doing podcasts? Like does Helmut Marco want to come on the money lap podcast and give us some quotes? Yeah, please. <laughs> what would you um, say? What do you say about that Parker? Well, you know, I think he obviously feels like he has an opinion. He has to get it out there uh, and has an opinion on a wide range of things. I think some of them are completely asinine in like saying that your driver <laughs> could take the slowest cars in the field and put them on pole. If the conditions were perfect, like, oh, okay, cool. I guess that happened already. Cause uh, Magnuson thanks, did thanks that for last sharing year with a Haas. With yeah. Thanks for sharing. You know, I like to find comparisons from F1 to NASCAR world. I think this might be uh, that Helmut Marco might be the Chris Rice. Uh, Formula One. Okay, I'll leave it there. <laughs> oh, I love that. Because love you, Chris. Chris Rice appreciate is that everywhere. <laughs> he is. He's always he's in the conversation. He's always in the conversation. Which he, you know, there is guys in who like the spotlight, and I think Hel- we're learning Helmet Marco appreciates being a part of the conversation. Is what we've learned here with all this. God bless Chris Rice. He did not mean to be drug into this conversation. I do not have <laughs> any current wild Chris Rice quotes to refer to, but Chris does love to be in the conversation. And as much as we're teasing on him, I feel like if he listened to this, he would be have a smile on his face knowing that we were just talking about him. So yes, Chris Rice, Helmet Marco. We salute you at the money lap for yes. constantly keeping your teams and your sport out in the out in the public, and we will continue to cover Helmet Marco and his uh, whatever the hell he's talking about next. <laughs> Let's also talk about disgruntled former employees uh, saying that their their employer doesn't know <clears throat> how to do business. Uh, in our latest edition here of Otmar Snaffauer, who got removed from Alpine, says that the Renault management lacks understanding on how to succeed in Formula One. Obviously, their first mistake in his eyes was firing him. Um, there's, <laughs> but I, I, which I, this is always look, a great I'm thing gonna, to put on your resume. Just no, it's just good. What but your I'm going to go on his side. Doing wrong. Yeah, I'm, but I'm going to get on his side here because. I'd be disappointed if Altmar got out there and he was like, yeah, well, they were probably right to fire me. You know, like, ah, you know what? I suck. But he did. He's gone up here and said, look, I knew what I was doing. I had a plan, blah, blah. They didn't understand it. Now I'm not there anymore. That's on them. So I support you, Altmar. I, uh, I don't know the particulars or who's in the right here, but I do support you because I, uh, I think, you know what? I'd be disappointed if he wasn't upset. I I love that F1 has this much public drama around their team management. I wish NASCAR did. I want to hear more about 
the team management drama. Those guys, these are NASCAR team principals. They get to fly way too under the radar, flying mm. on the team owners' planes and staying in motorhomes at the track. All that job <laughs> security. They we need. They need to be. They need. They need to be out. We need to. We need to hear more about what their life is really like. Because I know it's not easy. <laughs> we need on, more in, the of water show. One. Yeah. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Feel free to start a Twitter. Be vocal on it. We need more of that. So we need more of that to be have more stuff to discuss here on the Money Lab podcast. Uh, next week. Or this coming week, we're heading to Watkins Glen in NASCAR. We continue our playoff push on the number 48 Big Machine Racing Team, which I'm excited about. Uh, and I, we don't need to dive too much into that, but the thing I want to promote once again was that looking at the length of this one, we have a separate second episode this week uh, that's going to have our guest. Our first ever guest. It's a big deal. We're pretty pumped about this. So if you've just listened to this whole episode, it's going to be right after this. So go check it out. Awesome. Well, good luck this weekend. Thank you, buddy. Good stuff. That's it for the Money Lap Podcast. Go to moneylap.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and check out our uh, special guest episode after this. Thank you so much for listening to the Money Lap. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all of this content for free. So what do we ask for? Simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.